Welcome to Excavate, uncovering our place in God's story. I'm Heather Strongmore. And I'm Jamie Dawn. February is Black History Month, an important and special season, but one that sometimes is viewed with suspicion or cynicism. Across racial lines, this month can have complicated perceptions. It is also often commodified by corporations and organizations in ways that can feel performative and hollow. So today, we want to dig into the good intent of what Black History Month is about, the hard but powerful opportunity it creates for all of us, and the biblical basis for telling complicated stories with remembrance and hope. Let's dig in. So today, I have to acknowledge I feel slightly nervous to have this conversation. Y'all may or may not know, Jamie and I are both white women. And so we want to be thoughtful. We want to be engaged with things that impact our brothers and sisters of color. And we want to be thoughtful as Americans, that Black history is American history. And so we do think it is important and appropriate for the white community to engage with Black History Month as well. But we certainly want to acknowledge we have limitations based on our race. We want to stay in the lane that is appropriate for us. We're not coming at this trying to be experts or tell other people how they should experience Black History Month. But our hope is to model healthy, curious, empathetic engagement with something that is important for all Americans. Yeah, thanks for naming that, Heather. I think, especially as white women, because we often, like there's a ton of really important discourse about white feminism and just the way that that actually has harmed black women. And so I think for us to both name that, but also say it's important for us to dig into this, to um, really do our own work and celebrate in ways that make sense for us. But I think there's so many reasons that it's really important for us as white women to really uh, dig into this. Absolutely. Yeah, I think for me as a college student, I got really, that was when I started my feminist revolution and got really engaged with feminism. And thankfully for me at the time, the way it, feminism was presented to me was that this is about human rights in general and should be about civil rights for all marginalized groups. And so that was great. I think that's true. And it actually wasn't until recently that I understood more that the feminist movement in the U.S., especially like kind of the more modern wave in the 60s and 70s, did end up being pretty racially exclusive and that there has been real harm from white feminism. So I think that is really important to contend with. And maybe those of our listeners, you may or may not even know that that has been the case. Perhaps you were like me that you didn't know that it's been a little bit of a an exclusionary movement. And so, yeah, I do think there is an important role of responsibility, of accountability for us to engage with the Black community in healthy ways and in ways that model solidarity and mutuality. Yeah, that's really good. I, I think because when I was in college, I had some leaders in like feminist communities that I was a part of that were women of color it it helped me learn that but even 
in the midst of that, I, I have this very distinct memory of celebrating the suffrage movement and, um, a black woman saying to me, like, yeah, not for me. Like, I was like, these women went before us, paved a way for us. And she was like, they did not go for me. Um, and I was like, dang, you're right. That's true. Um, and just really needing to have a full perspective, even of our feminist history. Yeah, so good. Good. Well, let's, so today, as we said, we want to talk a little bit about the background of Black History Month, what it even is, talk a little bit about why it's important for everyone and why it is within our scriptural encouragement, why it's within a scriptural command to engage with this these sort of topics. This is going to be a conversation about a social topic, but one that is definitely informed by scripture. So we want to do all of that today. So first of all, if you are not familiar with how Black History Month came to be in the United States. So it started as a Black History Week in the late 1920s, and it was Black Americans that led the the charge on that. So they were celebrating one week, and they picked it in February during a specific week in the middle of the month because Abraham Lincoln's birthday was on February 12th, and Frederick Douglass's birthday was on February 14th. And so they thought, okay, this is cool. These are two really important men in the movement of Black history and civil rights. And so we'll celebrate a week of history around their birthdays. And then this was very fun. I didn't know this. I'm curious if you knew this, Jamie, as an alumni of this esteemed institution. And so Black History Month actually began in Ohio at Kent State University in 1969, there were black faculty and students that proposed, hey, we want to actually expand this into a whole month. We think this will be really valuable. And so it started amongst college students at in the university setting and spread from there in the early 70s. I, I did know that and I had kind of forgotten. Uh, and I think part of it is everyone stayed at Kent from that era like so I got to learn about that from the people who were a part of it um but to me a huge piece of this that I think um just my own experience at Kent highlights for me is we often forget Martin Luther King he really what made him such a threat to people was when he started talking about labor movements and the Vietnam War. And um, and so to me, I see that, I see Kent State as a real illustration of the way that those movements are so linked because Kent State was a huge home, obviously it, it turned very violent um, for advocating um, for us to, to leave Vietnam. And, um, and so for me, this is such a clear picture of the ways in which the civil rights movement was really about like human rights and the way that that led to um, anti-war rhetoric as and advocacy as well. And so, um, yeah, just seeing that again this week reminded me of that. And like these movements were and are so linked together. Um, and I think we, we don't talk about that 
piece enough. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good point. I hadn't thought about that connection either of Kent State being a real hub and eventually somewhat of a hotbed of activism and protest. But yeah, absolutely. They were very linked. And certainly for me and for both of us working in college ministry, I do just think it's really special and encouraging to see the collegiate environment leading the way and setting a tone. And as we're talking about Black History Month, so much of the civil rights movement was driven by churches and college students and church and college students in churches <laughs> and churches reaching out to college students there. They were so intertwined. And so I do think that's such a lovely foundation that then Black History Month keeps building on is the role of young people and the role of young people who are imagining a better way forward and who have the energy and desire to genuinely pursue it sometimes at great cost to themselves, but because they have hope for what else could yet be. Amen. I love that. And I do love just the inspiration to think about like, what, what are we going to learn and glean from this generation of, of college students and continue to build on that kind of legacy? Mm -hmm. That's so good. Yeah. So again, we want to emphasize Black History Month is important for everyone. I think there could be a temptation for non-Black people to think, okay, Black History Month is for the Black community and maybe we can all like give a thumbs up for it, but we're not necessarily, it's not ours to engage with. And I do think it's a delicate balance. I don't think that we want to co-opt it <laughs> and just like make it out, like take it to make it ours. But I think it's deeply important for all, certainly all Americans to engage with it because it is for the black community. It is something that is meant to be a source of pride, a source of encouragement, a source of ongoing learning. But I do think it's so crucial for all Americans because as I have said, chances are I'll say it again in this episode, black history is American history. Those, it's all intertwined. We all have a shared fate and we all have had a shared story until now and so it's not just for one subset of americans or one slice of american life it is genuinely for all of us to engage yeah i think that's so important and really important right now as that's actually a very controversial statement sadly um to say and so i think it's really important for us now maybe if more than ever as much as ever um to to really engage in um black history month and really like press into the the meaning of it and um yeah as you were talking i was thinking about how i like to i love being an auntie and i buy now my niece and nephew um a little target puts out really great products not to like encourage the commercialization of black history month but they usually actually partner with black brands so i can i feel okay about it but um every time i go to buy them like their t-shirt for black history month i'm always like um is this co-opting is this appropriate but they usually do have at least one product that is appropriate and not 
co-opting for uh, little white kids. Um, but it's it's very fun. And um, yeah, I encourage you to actually support those black brands. But um, but yeah, as you were talking about just that that balance of like we want to press into this, we want to engage this and also allow our black sisters and brothers to actually tell us what that looks like in some ways. Yeah, that's so good. So I want to discuss a little bit the uh, some excerpts from James Baldwin's book, The Fire Next Time. I heavily encourage y'all to read it if anyone has not read it yet. It's actually fairly short. It's essentially an essay that he wrote. It, it was published in 1963. In my opinion, for what it's worth, <laughs> I think it's actually one of the most important works of the 20th century, his, his essay, The Fire Next Time, because it is about race in America. It's about the Black experience in America. But I think what he does so beautifully and uniquely is he really talks about how is this tied up with the existential state of America and how is just the nature of America intertwined with racism? Essentially what's at the heart of why racism even exists and why there are, there is a racial struggle. And I think he really gets at those questions so powerfully and so concisely. And so that's to me why I think it's so important. It's not just someone writing about the symptom of here's symptoms of racism, we need to stop being racist. <laughs> but he's saying, where did this come from? What is the existential desire that is being met in unhealthy ways through racial hierarchies and through racial oppression? And he also so powerfully talks about the, the impact on white people of racist structures. And I think in a very, I think, confrontational way but also just a very thoughtful way and i'm gonna i'm gonna read a few excerpts from him because i think he really understands what we've talked about especially when we've talked about men and women that when you put yourself in a place of feeling superior to others if you allow yourself to feel like you're better than other people and other people are lesser than you that actually does harm to you because that's fundamentally not true in the created order. All humans bear the image of God. All humans are equally beloved and possessors of equal dignity and, and value in the earth. And so when we allow ourselves to fall into these traps of hierarchies and superiority and oppression, that does damage to our souls as well. If we are the ones who are benefiting from it, we're actually being harmed in other ways. We may benefit from it physically, financially, economically, but spiritually and psychologically, it is corroding us from the inside out. And so I think he names that in a way that is really direct, but also compassionate, that he's not just saying, hey, you're all bad people. He's saying, this is a reality and it harms everyone. And here's how I perceive it to harm everyone. And so some, a few things that he said specifically in the book that were just so compelling to me that I think about a lot. Again, there's there's so much. I have so many underlined passages and, and sentences and paragraphs in the book. But he really identifies the way that because 
white people chose to forcibly bring enslaved Africans to America, that has created an inextricable link between black Americans and white Americans. We don't have two Americas. We don't have subsets of America. This is who we all are. And because of our choices that resulted in great harm, it has also created a nation that would not have existed in this form otherwise. And it's not helpful to pretend like that never happened or there is no culpability there. We've created something totally new. And there are things that we can, by the power of renewal of God, can draw from that that can be helpful. But this is who we are. And it's better to acknowledge we've created something totally unique. And let's actually acknowledge that and explore that rather than pretending like America, that's not part of who we are and that's not what we need to do. Yeah, I, I think that idea of like the, it mars our own humanity from him has really fundamentally changed the way that I approach oppression of all kinds. Um, but I think for me, I used to wonder, like, is it loving to be so harsh towards oppressors or, um, I don't know, like the niceties of like what many people are, would call like civility, um, is a complicated thing, I think. But for me, I've often come back to that reality of the most loving thing is to remind someone of how much our own soul is marred by the reality of being an oppressor and participating in any way with that. And um, yeah, I, I think the way that he names that so honestly, so beautifully, like he just reminds you that you don't want to live in that world like and and what we are made for is something so much better that I think it, it really has marked the way I understand oppression and what it looks like to participate in it yes exactly so I have four different quotes that I'd like to share and they're two it's kind of I'm going to share them in pairs they're related to each other so he's writing in a time where he's also responding somewhat to an Islamic movement in the U.S. of Black Americans identifying with Islam and seeing that as, is this our way to achieve power? And I think what's interesting is, I believe that he identified as an atheist, ultimately, uh, James Baldwin, but he, he discusses the failures of Christianity, but I don't think he actually he fully rejects Christianity as such. Um, he rejects racial misuse um, and racist misuse of Christianity. But he also doesn't fully ascribe to Islam either. He doesn't see it as, oh, this is our path to power. And so I'm going to read an excerpt where he's addressing that a little bit of that there was a narrative at that time, certainly in the early 60s and beyond, of should we embrace Islam and potentially even return to Africa? That is, is that our way to find belonging? And this is what he says. The Negro has been formed by this nation for better or for worse and does not belong to any other, not to Africa 
and certainly not to Islam. The paradox, and a fearful paradox it is, is that the American Negro can have no future anywhere, on any continent, as long as he is unwilling to accept his past. To accept one's past, one's history, is not the same as drowning in it. It is learning how to use it. I think that's incredibly relevant for today, for this moment, as we are wrestling with banning books in schools and wrestling with this idea, even the idea of CRT, of critical race theory, has people often so quickly worked up. And I love that he's saying to accept one's past, one's history is not the same as drowning in it. It is learning how to use it. His encouragement is we have to know where we came from to know who we are. And that doesn't mean that we're then stuck there. It means that it, it's a, a helpful tool for us to understand ourselves. And then a related quote, just a couple pages later, he said, the American Negro is a unique creation. He has no counterpart anywhere and no predecessors. And that's what I was trying to expand on a little bit earlier of he's saying like, we are unique as black Americans. There is something new that's been created. It came about through evil. And there's also a dignified way forward. There's also an opportunity for the Lord to create something new. Those are my words. Um, Cause again, he doesn't identify as a Christian, but that was so compelling to me to think about. And actually I just think about this a lot in general about the, the way that black American culture has been such a huge part of shaping what people view as American. I mean, think about some of our biggest Im exports of culture are rock and roll and, and hip hop and especially like hip hop style a more of like urban streetwear people love that around the world <laughs> we are american style sets a style for the globe and that is also driven by the black community in the us and so i i just think it's so interesting that in those passages he's encouraging hey the the goal isn't to abandon our place here it's not to abandon our history and try to leave it behind. It's actually to understand how have we been shaped and how are we unlike any other culture and what does it look like for us to actually embrace that and, and find a way forward. Yeah. I think really what you said um, earlier about this is American history like this really fleshes out the fullness of that to say um, America wouldn't be what it is. And also that unique experience of like our racial identities um, really are tied to one another. Exactly. And I think I want to speak very carefully because I have heard Christians, white Christians, very deeply misuse this idea that, oh, it benefited Black people to be brought here, and they got to hear about Jesus, so we did them a favor. Um, that is not at all true. I don't ever want to even verge on that idea. So as you hear us talking about this, discussing this, I don't want us to unintentionally in any way communicate Oh, it was all worth it. See, <laughs> like we, we built something really cool out of it. So that made it all fine. That's not at all what I believe or what I want to communicate. 
I think, again, as Christians, this is a real opportunity for us to glorify the power of God, that as Christians, our story is never limited to evil that we have done or evil that has been done to us. Those things are very real. It's important to acknowledge and grieve when those things occur, to repent when those things occur, and to trust that God can allow our stories to be bigger than the experience of evil and suffering. And so that's what I want to highlight as we talk about, as we continue this conversation about Black history. It's not to say, oh, some cool stuff came out of forcibly bringing Africans here, and so everything's fine now. We can acknowledge the evil part and then acknowledge the beauty and power of God and the image of God within all humans that allows us to create something new out of a place of suffering. Yeah, I'm glad you named that. It's so sinister and like twisted to try to like imagine that line of thinking that I'm like, oh yeah, you are right. That is what people say. <laughs> so that is... It's really a way of like, which we'll get to this later, but it's a way of like not wanting to acknowledge our full story um, and kind of try to like spiritually bypass our own history, which is super dangerous. Exactly. Yes. And I think scripture gives us what we need to be able to hold those intention. The story of God allows us to hold multiple things at once, that we are fallen people who experience the fallenness of the world, who contribute to the fallenness of the world, and we serve a powerful God who pulls us through those things and expands our story. And so that certainly encompasses American history and Black history. And I think within that, I want to emphasize that maybe even especially as white Americans, we can think like, oh, Black history is just like, really painful <laughs> and like it's all it's only about suffering and that certainly is an element of it but i want us to make sure that we go into this month continue through this month emphasizing for ourselves for others that learning black history is first of all a celebration of human dignity and power in the face of adversity that is the goal i think of black history is we're telling a whole story we're telling a complicated story and perseverance in the face of adversity means we have to name the adversity that created the need to persevere, but that as we do that, we are celebrating human dignity and, and goodness and perseverance. And so there's two more quotes that I want to share as again, what, what's the hope, what's the goal of telling these stories, telling a complicated story that involves human failure and sin and involves human dignity and beauty and glory. And so here is one of the passages where James Baldwin talks about this would be the intended good outcome for white Americans to engage in this process. He says, the white man is himself in sore need of new standards, which will release him from his confusion and place him once again in fruitful communion with the depths of his own being. And I repeat, the price of the liberation of the white people is the liberation of the blacks, the total liberation in the cities, in the towns, before the law, and in the mind. That he's saying if we are creating bondage for anyone, we create bondage for ourselves as well. And so if we want to live lives of freedom, that means 
everyone has to be free, that those two things are symbiotic. We cannot have one party, one community living in freedom and the other living under oppression. That's not possible. It's not spiritually possible. It's not physically possible. And so for all of us to live in freedom and wholeness, and I think this is really beautiful, his language of to once again be in fruitful communion with the depths of our own being, that we are then living as whole selves and not as perhaps a, a duplicitous self of presenting yourself one way and then behaving another way. But for us to live in wholeness, it means everyone needs to live in wholeness. Um, and he has this really lovely affirmation for the Black community a couple pages after that. He says, I'm proud of these people, not because of their color, but because of their intelligence and their spiritual force and their beauty. The country should be proud of them too, but alas, not many people in this country even know of their existence. And the reason for this ignorance is that a knowledge of the role these people played and play in American life would reveal more about America to Americans than Americans wish to know. So he's saying there's real level, there's beauty and truth and goodness and dignity in the black community that should be celebrated. What holds us back from celebrating it is then we have to confront ourselves to do that. And we have to confront painful realities in order to celebrate, again, human perseverance and dignity. So I, again, commend this book to you. It's incredible. It's just, an I think, an important work of philosophy and anthropology as well as in some ways, theology. And I think he just so beautifully captures the complexity of American history and the ways that it involves all of us and therefore that the means forward, the means of healing and restoration needs to involve all of us as well. Yeah, I love this clarity around, um, like you said, the duplicity of like, being fragmented keeps us from knowing the depths of who we can be what freedom really looks like for us in like a real soul nurturing kind of way um and I think that invitation to me like so many like you said even naming that black history is not all pain black history is celebration and beauty and um I think some white people don't want to learn black history because of their own white guilt and inability to navigate that and I think just that invitation for everyone that like liberation means we actually get to discover more of who we were made to be and the more we participate in liberation for everyone the more we get to discover that for ourselves for our sisters and brothers around us like it's about living in a way that is not fragmented absolutely I think that's such I love that word choice for you that you use of fragmented I think that's the that's the result if we're turning our eyes away from certain things only allowing ourselves to engage with certain things then we're, yeah, we're not living as whole people. We're, we're living in the shadows and we serve a God of light who is not afraid to shine light in any dark places. And so within that, let's keep talking about the biblical basis of what's our, 
what's our Christian motivation? What's our godly motivation for engaging with Black History Month? And first of all, if you've listened to Excavate for any amount of time, I think you know that scripture does not shy away from complicated stories. (laughs) And we talk about this a lot, that God does not have a problem with telling the whole story, even when it includes human failure, even when it includes quite catastrophic consequences of human sin. The Bible is full, especially the Old Testament for sure, is full of mistakes that humans make, that the people of God make, that result in significant suffering for other people, sometimes widespread systemic suffering for other people. And that is difficult, but the Bible doesn't gloss over that. The Bible doesn't give us a template of only talk about the good stuff and you're a bad person or you're a bad Christian if you talk about any weaknesses or failures in the people of God. That's not at all true. As Christians, we assume human sin. We assume human failure and fallenness. That's part, that's a core to our theology and our understanding of the world. And so it should not be a surprise to us when we look at our own modern history that we would see colossal mistakes, that we would see massive problems that humans created that resulted in massive suffering for other people. And that's not something that we have to shy away from. Scripture gives us a model of boldness to tell the whole truth and to bring everything into the light before Christ and to know that God can join us in that place of brokenness and complexity. Yeah, I think even our recent episode around Sarah, one of the matriarchs, and her failures, just it's so clear that scripture is does not shy away from it and also doesn't shame people for it. And so, and I think that's an important piece as we dig into our own American history is to say there's a way of doing that that actually can occur without shame that there's a a reckoning of what actually has occurred and that it it can actually be done in a way that moves us forward rather than kind of living in in a pit of shame Mm -hmm. that's so good and I, I I've experienced this firsthand that for me when I have been on explorations or journeys of needing to engage with American history. I moved from, I had always lived in the Northeast my whole life. I moved to Memphis, Tennessee seven years ago, which is the deep South. It is on the border of Mississippi and Arkansas and was confronted inescapably with just the realities of the history of race in America and the history of American enslavement of, of Africans. And that was deeply unsettling for me. It was deeply uncomfortable. And I had to really make a a conscious choice before the Lord to say, to ask the Lord to help me press into that, to not just shut down because I was very anxious. It really triggered a lot of anxious responses from me because I felt bad. I felt like I was a bad person. I felt like I was doing things wrong because I was just suddenly aware of things that I had been able to ignore or be just ignorant of in the past. That didn't mean that I was even doing that on purpose. I just literally, I didn't know what I didn't know until I knew, (laughs) until I was confronted with it. 
And I think that is a so often a barrier for us in the white community, in white Christian spaces, that when we encounter those feelings of discomfort that's triggered by shame, we let the shame define us and we let the shame hold us back and cause us to shut down rather than saying, okay, as a Christian, I know I'm going to fail. I know that humanity fails. Even if there are things that my predecessors did that I didn't directly contribute to, I'm still part of that. And so I don't have to beat myself up in terms of being stuck in white guilt, but that's an opportunity for me to engage with repentance, to engage with curiosity about how we can make things right. And that that can happen by the power of God. That can happen with the Holy Spirit guiding us through that. And it is worth moving through that and not staying in that paralysis when we're first learning new things. But we have to push through those initial moments of discomfort if we're going to get somewhere new. I think that's so good, Heather, that perseverance and that endurance that it takes to really confront within ourselves our own hesitancy to engage. And many of us want to kind of, I don't know, pretend that that doesn't exist within us and that we we are just such good humans and so aware of our world that we we never struggle with such things and it's just it's really quite foolish to to live in that space and we don't actually get anywhere it actually does prevent us from that and so I think the more that we can acknowledge like our own weariness as we are learning and our own um capacity that wanes at times to like engage things that are new and different and hard um I think yeah it just for me it's another point of like we actually become the better versions of ourselves even in the midst of that of like I want to be the kind of person that can has a higher capacity has the endurance to dig deep within myself to engage difficult things and I think um that for me is another picture of that of like the more we grow in our endurance to engage this the more we actually become who who we're made to be I love that that's so good yeah, I've heard people use the the word stamina, that you develop your stamina for racial conversations, for conversations about the history of America that might be complicated and uncomfortable at times. And and that it's it's a very worthwhile thing to pursue because anytime that we are celebrating human dignity, whether we're doing that in black history or somewhere else, but for this conversation, when we're celebrating human dignity in Black history, we will always fundamentally be celebrating the image of God within brothers and sisters. That's really beautiful. That's a very worthy thing to pursue. And as I mentioned earlier, so much of Black history in the U.S. is deeply tied to Christian faith and to the vibrant role of the Black church in America. And that is such a joyful thing to learn about and engage and so when we 
let our let discomfort or anxiety or guilt hold us back from pressing in to learning new things and engaging with people in new ways, we're really allowing the enemy to rob us of knowing more of who God is and knowing more of the presence of God amongst the people of God over history. I think the enemy would love to rob us of that. And so part of our resistance to participating in human oppression is also resisting spiritual oppression. The enemy wants to perpetuate the the oppression of of humans of people who are made in the image of god and so for us to resist that is also to resist the work of satan in the earth yeah that's such a good point heather and it as you were talking it just it did remind me of like how much right now what we see it it's hard to talk about some of the resistance to this without also getting somewhat political but it really is disturbing to see resistance to our full historical story being told um often led by so-called christians and to see that kind of um complexity of like not of actually having such a rich heritage that we could dig into and then to look at right now so many Christians leading the charge to actually keep us from learning our full story is it makes me extremely angry but I think even as you were talking I was just like I actually am just so grieved that we people are being robbed that we are trying to actually rob kids of learning our full story and celebrating the fullness of that and seeing themselves and their peers reflected in the stories that we tell about our own spaces and places and I think um yeah it's just it's very hard to face the reality that so many of the people that are actually doing the participating in that robbing are people who are attempting to do so in the name of Jesus and so I think for me that's where I'm like this conversation I don't mean to be like alarmist but I actually do think it's more it's as important as it ever has been for us to engage these things and to do it in the in the name of Jesus to do it in the face of those who are also trying to to rob a full story being told. Yes, that's so true. And I think that happens because we have in our Western American culture, we have made conversations about race synonymous with politics. And as Bible loving, Jesus loving people, that's not the fullness of how we understand the world. Any human interaction is can and should be guided by scripture, including human interactions that happen on systemic levels that also needs to be informed by scripture. And so when we say, oh, that's you're being too political and you're automatically affiliating with one political party or another, that's so reductionistic and honestly foolish. Unfortunately, I hate to even say that, but it's foolish that we're allowing ourselves to think that and we're then 
separating ourselves from the wisdom and insight that we have from scripture. Because I think immediately about the just the genealogy of Jesus, when we think about what does it look like to tell our own story or to tell a whole story and to tell an embarrassing failure-filled story, the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1 is full of human failure. There are some of the, we've, we have a whole episode about this in season one, but many of the women who are named in Jesus's genealogy have stories that for the Jewish people were embarrassing, that were less than perfect, less than pristine, that they would have preferred to hide. And a lot of the male kings who are listed in the lineage of Jesus were colossal, catastrophic failures in Israel, and they actively led the people into idolatry. They actively caused the people to be punished by God. They caused the death of thousands because of their waywardness, because of their godlessness. And Jesus, if Jesus can do it, if Jesus can say, listen, this is my whole story. This is where I come from. These are the people that I'm tied to and I'm choosing to enter their story and I'm choosing not to be limited by their story, but to expand it so that I can bring new possibilities for wholeness into the world and into his own family. Then that should give us the boldness to know that we can do that too. That's not a political conversation. That is a biblical godly conversation and one that we can model for children, <laughs> that we do not have to be afraid of failing. We can look at it for what it is. We can confront it. We can look it in the face and we can shine the light of Christ on it because we know that Christ gives us the boldness to see ourselves as having more to our story than just those failures. Yeah, I love how you put that, Heather. And I think the, the genealogy of Jesus is such a great example because he's the one person who actually could choose to distance himself from um, a sinful pattern because uh, he himself did not embody that. Um, and yet actually choosing to make sure that we know the, the genealogy of his life on earth is it really is compelling because it's a reminder of like in in an op where there actually was an option he chose to bring things um fully into the light and to be uh to tell a whole story and so i just think it's such an important thing to draw out that like it actually was an option to not have that be a part of the story that we tell about jesus and yet it it isn't and it it's actually quite important to the story. Yes, exactly. Yes. Well, I hope that this is encouraging people to say, okay, yes, I do want to lean into Black History Month to even Women's History Month um, in March. I want to lean into to not be afraid of things that will be complicated, of learning about things that will be ugly and uncomfortable. And I want to press into that so that I can also learn about things that are beautiful and glorious. And so we have a few practical cautions or suggestions for non-Black people who want to engage with Black History Month. So one off the top of my head is to be a curious guest 
Try to learn without making it about you. So understanding, I want to be curious. I want to learn new things. I want to acknowledge that there's a lot I don't know. I don't have to be embarrassed by that. That's fine. And I just want to learn new things. And I want to see myself as a guest in this place (laughs) that I'm not letting my curiosity make me be the center of it and make it about me. That unfortunately is a significant tendency in white culture that we're used to the world revolving around us. We're used to the story being about us. And we can often unconsciously, when we enter new spaces, make it about us. I don't think we always do it on purpose. It's just instinctive because it's embedded in us in the way that we're taught to move in the world. And so it takes a conscious effort to say, I want to engage with this. I want to learn new things. And I'm going to make sure that I'm being respectful, that I'm not over inserting myself into something that's not about me. I want to be a guest and learn and be gracious and generous and not do too much. (laughs) Yeah. I think what came to mind for me as you were talking is being curious enough to like do the work on your own. Um, It's Black History Month. So it's actually quite easy for you to not ask a Black person um, to do your research for you or to tell you what what topics are out there. There's lists everywhere. There's films. There's book lists. Like, it could not be a better time for you to dig in. Um, Our friend and woman that we greatly respect, Cole Arthur Riley, wrote an article gosh, it may have been two years ago now in February, um, about kind of the burden of a, a writer and content creator in February to like do so much and to tell the story so well. And, um, it really has reminded me of like, it, this can be and should be a celebration. And also we can make like it's easier than ever. You don't have to um, rely on others solely. I mean, it's great to ask people like, how, what are you doing? What are you reading this month? Um, but I think it's important for us to, to do the bulk of that on our own. Exactly. And there can be an excitement and an enthusiasm when you're like, okay, yeah, I want to do this. And you maybe want to share that. And so you may go to black people that you know, whether it's friends or at work or whatever. And you might be like, I want to really get into black history month this week, this year. And and that can be fine, but don't then be like, so tell me what I should do. <laughs> um, I think your point is really important, Jamie, that there is an abundance of information. A quick Google search <laughs> will give you so much. <laughs> um, so pause in your enthusiasm. It's not bad to be excited. Please do be excited. It is exciting and worth your time, but don't just then like in your enthusiasm, create an unintentional burden for other people when it is very simple and easy to do some stuff on your own to give yourself a starting point. And then I would say, that learning about something doesn't mean that you own it. And this, again, can be another unfortunate tendency in white culture that we can feel like, well, I've learned about something. 
this can be about anything, but especially about other cultures. I learned about this. Now I'm, now I feel like I'm an authority. Now I feel like I have the right to have full access to this culture or this area. And we can then act like it's ours because we learned about it. And we can also expect applause for <laughs> learning about something. And I would encourage us, this was genuinely a process I had to go through for myself. It's kind of embarrassing to admit, but as I was learning more about the history of race in America, more about how to engage with black communities in healthier ways, I really caught myself expecting appreciation and feeling like I'm such a good person. Now I'm owed affirmation. I'm owed applause. And I had to really pause and work through that before the Lord to say, actually, I'm doing the minimum of being a good human being. <laughs> this should not require me to feel like I should be rewarded for just being a caring person. That is what we are called to do as Christians <laughs> and how we are called to move in the world. And so I would say if you catch yourself doing that, I think in a healthy way, check those tendencies. Again, invite the Lord into that in prayer of, I, I want to do this because it means this is what it helps. This helps me be a good neighbor. This is helping me be a good neighbor to people I know, but also just in society. And that's something that we are all called to do. It's a good thing, but it doesn't mean that we should be rewarded for doing what we're called to do to begin with. Yeah, that's so good, Heather. I think as you were talking to you, I was just reminded, like, if you feel overwhelmed by all there is to know or how much you don't know um, or have not talked with other people about their lived experience, I think, honestly, like, all the same things that I was talking about before, about, like, this current moment being so important, I think we have kind of named as a culture like we don't teach these things well we need to do better um and so there's also never been in some ways like an easier time for us to just say I'm really realizing how little I've learned in my life and I want to do better and so I think for all those places where we just honestly are taught like to be the hero of our own stories as white people. Um, it's a great time to say, I'm realizing I don't know very much. Um, and it's kind of like the the perfect time to do so. So um, I think there's such an invitation there for us of of being able to name to name that and just lean into it. Yes, so good. And then within that, I think. As we're doing this process, as we've encouraged you, be curious about others. I think also be curious about yourself. Stay connected to your emotional and physical reactions as you're learning new things, as you're maybe being confronted with things that you didn't know before. Be curious about yourself. Of If you're feeling yourself getting agitated, if you're feeling just yourself getting emotional in some undefined way and you don't know why, if your body is tightening up, be curious of like, okay, what's going on? Why am I having this reaction? Where is this coming from? 
we can often, if we're, if we leave that unexamined, we can channel that into defensiveness and blame of other people, especially of people, the people that we're learning about of why are you attacking me <laughs> when that's not at all what's happening. Our emotional reaction is a sort of a fight or flight because we feel stress because we're learning about painful, uncomfortable things. And then we can interpret that as I'm being attacked. And that's actually not what's happening. We're having to learn something hard and new. And it's okay and appropriate to have a fairly intense reaction to that. And we can invite the Lord into that. We can coach ourselves through that. But that takes self-awareness. That takes being present with ourselves to have that curiosity and exploration of our own reactions and not to stay in, I think, detachment to ourselves in ways that then lead us to blame other people and just get angry at other people. Yeah, I think that's really good. And I think it it's just a great exercise in life. Again, like it actually is just us choosing to become the fuller versions of ourselves that we are going to be self-aware and engage the reality of like, this is making me angry. <laughs> um, and... I, I think it's important for us to name that and to to reckon with all that comes up in us um, and, and to just, yeah, lean into that. Exactly. Because my, our final encouragement for you is that this is a deeply worthwhile process, not just as a citizen of the United States or a neighbor in the world, although those two things are very worthwhile as well, but Speaking from my own testimony, it has truly been a huge area of my own spiritual growth to engage with this difficult history, to engage with communities that are very different from me that have caused that my reaction can be one of discomfort at times, can be one of uncertainty and anxiety at times. The more that I have pressed into that with the Lord, as I've invited the Holy Spirit to join with me in those processes, as I have sought to pray through my experiences and my failures and my ongoing learning, it has truly been such a sanctifying process in my life. It's, it's not just about me. Like, don't just do it as a self-help <laughs> um, exercise of like, this will make me a better person. So I'm going to, my motive is just my own betterment. Ultimately, our goal should be love of neighbor and love of God. But within that, as we pursue that, as we are doing the things that we are called to do as Christians, it will automatically bear fruit in our lives. I have very much seen the fruit of what James Baldwin talks about of liberation for others involves, brings liberation to us. And that it, I have experienced that communion of the depth of my own being through this. It's made me more self-aware. It's made me so much more emotionally healthy as I've had to do this difficult but important process of staying connected to myself, of being curious about my emotional reactions, it's made me so much more relaxed and free with other people because I am a people pleaser. I tend to be highly anxious. I tend to worry a lot and having to really invite God into all those anxious, fearful reactions has brought new layers of healing to those areas, has brought new layers of freedom to those areas. 
And I'm just, I'm genuinely just a better friend to others. I'm a better minister, very much so, um, in my vocational ministry because of doing this work. And so that's again where it, when we limit it to these are political conversations, we're also again robbing ourselves of a sanctifying process to be more Christ like in every way in our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with others. And so this is a really, powerful. It's a complex, it's a long process to go to enter into, especially for white people, but it's one that's deeply worthwhile and is very godly and where we will encounter Christ in ways that we never expected. Yeah, I think you just summed that up so well, Heather. I think, um, I, I really do hope that what people have heard is an invitation to engage our own humanity and to press into that and to really engage that this month in a in a way that is particular to exploring black history and the the celebration and and hard history that we experience with that thanks so much for digging in with us today we hope this was a helpful conversation. We are, of course, coming at this conversation from our lived experience as white women. We don't intend to tell our Black sisters and brothers how to celebrate Black History Month, but we do want to invite all of us to tell whole stories, to press in, and to really engage that in this particular way of Black History Month. We'd love to hear how you are engaging this month, so find us on Instagram and Facebook at Excavate Podcast. Tell us what you're watching and celebrating and reading this month. We do have our Patreon account, which helps us continue to create the podcast. And we do want to tell you about a really special opportunity, February 17th, to be with us at a live recording at the Jubilee Conference. We'll include details about that in the show notes. Thanks so much for uncovering your place and God's story with us. Thank you.